Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they won't come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The last few times that I've, I've preached, I've been looking at different psalms um, in the Old Testament. And last month, I preached on Psalm 14, um, which begins, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And uh, around that time, we got our new uh, church website. Um, and on the church website, you're able to download uh, some of the messages. Uh, in fact, hopefully all of the messages that we're now going to be bringing on a Sunday morning. Um, the thing is, you have to come up with a title for, for it to go on the website. And we've never really done that before. We've just kind of preached on a passage, those of us who preach, and, uh, and it, it goes out and you might be able to get a CD. But for the website, and because you can now sign up to it on, uh, on iTunes as well, um, then uh, iTunes, I, yeah, it is iTunes, isn't it? Um, you've got to give a title to it. And so I came up with the title for Psalm 14, Don't Be a Fool because it was said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So that one is down there as under, don't be a fool. So I was thinking about what a title I could give to this message, and I'm going to call it, don't be a mule. Did someone guess that? Very good. (laughs) Don't be a mule. Because one of the key themes of this message, and this psalm, is about not being stubborn when it comes to approaching God and confessing your sin to him. Uh, We're going to look at the whole psalm there, and we'll get on to the bit about the mule a little bit later on. Because the psalm begins by saying, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin uh, the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, a person is blessed or is happy if their sins have been forgiven. Now, before we go much further this morning, though, I think we've got to stop and, uh, and look at this whole thing about sin, because this is pretty alien to today's culture. The whole uh, concept of sin, the whole idea of sin or people being sinners is a bit of an alien concept in today's culture. Many people don't like to think that they're sinners. Uh, they don't like to think that anyone else is a sinner either, because in today's society, we don't tend to think about God in a biblical way. And certainly our starting point in our thinking about God isn't what God says about himself, what God has revealed in the Bible. Our starting point in thinking about God and, uh, is actually us. I'm going to look at it in one specific way. There are many others. Our lives are shaped by consumerism. The whole consumerist mentality in our society, in Britain, just dominates our thinking. We have it in so many different areas. And uh, it can come into our thinking about God as well, and it can come into our thinking about spirituality, whatever we might call that. In fact, there's a rise 
in what is known as spirituality these days. If you did a bit of a survey and said, would you see that you were a spiritual person? I would imagine quite a few people would say, yeah, I feel that I'm a spiritual sort of person. I want to find out more about my spirituality. I want to find out more about that aspect of my character. Maybe uh, people have got a bit disillusioned with the world as they see it, and they say, I believe there must be more. They could almost maybe even sing the song that we've just sung, There Must Be More Than This. But they wouldn't be coming at it from a biblical perspective necessarily, or probably they wouldn't. They would be coming at it from their own terms. And it would be a consumerist mentality, a consumer mentality. So in the same way that we can go to, uh, to Meadow Hall, or we can log on to a website these days and get exactly what we want to buy, we can do a search and say, okay, well, that, I'm going to have this, and I'm going to have this, and I'm going to have this. And we, we pick and mix, and we choose exactly what we want to fulfill us in our lives. We feel that we can do that with, uh, with God or with spirituality in the same way. Because we feel it's all about getting our needs met. So we think, well, there must be a God. Maybe there's a God. I'm going to come to God and I'm going to look and I'm going to see if God can meet these needs. These needs that I, I'm experiencing at the moment in my life. So some people might say, I'm very lonely. I'm very lonely. I need someone who is going to comfort me. So I'm going to look for something in God that is going to comfort me. Some people feel, I just don't know where to turn. I need some direction in my life. Some people say, well, I just feel this emptiness inside of me. It's, it, you know, it, it needs to be filled. Some people even might be dissatisfied with the kind of affluent lifestyle that we have or that they have and just think there's got to be something else. There's got to be something different to life than this. Now that could be a starting point to lead us on to God, but often it might lead us in all sorts of different ways. It might lead us to look for a God who just meets our needs and who we have access to straight away. Because that's what we have. When we go to McDonald's, we can get our food, our food straight away. When we go to a shop or online, we can click on it. We can find out, okay, we can have that. And it'll be delivered to our door. It comes pretty instantly. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go through anything else. We, can have, we want it. We can have it. And we can have that attitude about God in our society. If we want this... If we want God, we can have it. We can go searching for God and we'll take that. And that actually maybe, uh, maybe Buddhism suits our needs at the moment or maybe it's, and maybe it's some, some of the things about Christianity. Actually, we quite like that. So we'll take a bit of that and we'll take a bit of this and, and we can come and we can have access to the spiritual or we can have access to God. Now, this isn't solely with the perspective of people outside of the church. It's not just people who are outside of the church who might think this, because this sort of attitude can easily begin to creep into our lives in the church. And we want God on our terms and not on his terms. And we begin to get a bit disappointed when God doesn't seem to be delivering what we want on our terms. So maybe we have come with different hopes and expectations uh, as we were hearing this morning. And suddenly we're thinking, actually, it do God doesn't seem to be meeting those needs. I came to God thinking this, this, and this would happen, and it's not, and it's not happened. And so I'm a bit disappointed with God, actually. Or even, people might say, I'm actually a bit angry with God. 
I just think that, you know, we, we've just skewed our perspective. When we come to God and we say, God, I'm angry with you, then that's, a, that's just not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. And it's because we often want God on our terms and we have these expectations, which aren't matched by what the Bible tells us will happen. Let's take, for example, suffering and hardship in our lives. Now, suffering and hardship can be a major problem to us if we have an expectation that it won't happen. If we come and we think, we've become a Christian now, and so, I, you know, God will look after me, God will protect me, I'm not going to experience any hardship in my life, I'm not going to experience any real suffering. Maybe a little bit, but, but nothing serious. And then when something hits us, we think, hang on, what's happened? We get all disappointed. We might get angry. But God has never said that that wouldn't happen. In fact, previous generations just accepted that as part of life. You wouldn't have found, you know, suffering was just a part of life. Suffering in society was just part of life. That's what happened. It, everyone goes through it. But now in society, we have so much, we expect not to have to suffer. And when we suffer, we might, we might decide we're going to sue someone because of the suffering that they've caused us. Or we might decide you know, we're going we're gonna to take some sort of action because it's, it's one of our rights not to have to suffer. That can subtly come into the church. And we have these expectations of God. But actually, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches more that we will, as a Christian, experience more suffering and more hardship and more persecution than others, mainly because we are a Christian. So we can have this consumerist attitude towards God, that we can approach him freely. But God says no. God says no. You can't just come into my presence. You can't just freely decide, I'm going to look for God. Therefore, I will come along to church and I will encounter God. And I don't need to give anything uh, of myself. I don't need to do anything. I, I can just come. I'm okay. I can come and have access to God. The Bible says, no, you can't have access to God. The Bible says you can't have access to God because we are sinners. In fact, the Bible tells us that we cannot stand in God's presence. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. It's one example of where the Bible says this. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 21, speaking now to Christians, but Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So he's saying, before you came to know God, and he'll go on and explain how we come to know God, but he said, before that point, you were alienated from God. You couldn't come in, into God's presence. You were an alien to God. You were separate from God. You were actually enemies of God in your minds. Why? Because of your evil behavior. Because of what you did. Because of the sin that is in you. And actually, it's only because of God taking the initiative through sending his son Jesus to die for us that we might be forgiven and truly saved. And, and Paul goes on in Colossians and says that. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out 
in the gospel, the good news. Paul's saying, you can come in, but it's because of God's initiative. It was Christ's um, physical body and Christ dying that reconciled us to God. And it was God himself who took the initiative. You know, we've been singing this morning about God's great mercy and him meeting our deepest need. And our deepest need is to be forgiven. Our deepest need is to know God's forgiveness and reconciliation to him. Our deepest need is not to have some emptiness fulfilled. Our deepest need is not to um, have, uh, have a friend. Our deepest need is not to have direction in life. Our deepest need is not to have comfort. Our deepest need is not to find something as a bit of a, a, a counterbalance to a materialistic lifestyle. Our deepest need, all of us, is to know God's forgiveness. That is what we need. Because this sin that is in our life prevents us from knowing God. We can come to church... We can do all sorts of spiritual activities, but if our sin hasn't been forgiven, we will not know God. And that is our deepest need. So we were alienated from God by our evil behavior. By our evil behavior, what we did. And actually, even that, in our society today, is a difficult thing to get our heads around. Evil behavior, wrong things. Because we're increasingly, as a society, dubious about um, moral absolutes, about what is right and what is wrong. So most things are seen as, well, they're okay. And over a number of decades, people have begun to live their lives as though there was no God. And it, it seemed as though, you know, almost anything goes. Certainly, many things are now deemed as to be acceptable. Because when we move the idea of God from our thinking, and when we uh, move away from what the Bible tells us, then we can only decide what is right and what is wrong ourselves, or as a society. So it might be what the majority think, or it might be what we particularly feel. Standards are just set by other people, and they might be, you know, fairly arbitrary. One person decides this, another person decides that. One society or country decides that this is the, the standard. Another country decides that this is the standard. And that's okay here, and it's not okay here. And there we go. You know, it's okay to, to drink when you're 18 in a pub in England, but in America you've got to be 21. So we decide that that's the right way to live. And that's the standard. That's the moral absolute. But it's not, because it, it changes in different places. We've lost a biblical standard, we've lost what God says. So if we see a speed limit of 30 miles an hour on the road and we just think, oh, someone's just decided that's going to be 30 miles an hour. doesn't really matter if I go 31 or 32 because someone just plucked it out of the air anyway. doesn't matter. I think some of the things that have been going on this week um, in the news about uh, the BBC and, and Jonathan Ross and, and Russell Brand kind of highlight that a bit because people say, oh, well, They've been disciplined now. They've been um, suspended or sacked um, because they overstepped the mark. But in one sense, and hear me right on this, in one sense, I feel a little bit sorry for them because who's to say where the mark is? Who's to say where this line is that they've overstepped? People increasingly are pushing the boundaries. Oh, let's keep pushing the boundaries of comedy. Keep, keep pushing it. Well, where are we pushing them? We're pushing them back and back so more and more is acceptable. 
Now suddenly, they've gone way over the line. How do we know that they've gone way over the line? We don't know that they've gone way over the line because people are saying, well, actually, it says this in God's word. Oh, actually, this is clearly set as the line. They've gone over the line because 30,000 people have complained. Oh, well, the majority then, many people are complaining. They must have gone over the line. Who decides what's right and wrong? Majority rule? Let's take a vote on it. That isn't what the Bible says. That isn't what God says. Public opinion doesn't set the benchmark. So we've now got society where we see some things are against the law, so they're wrong, and other things are just generally okay. But when those generally okay things get a bit to excess and they start to damage us, then we see them as kind of diseases. We still don't see them as sinful or wrong. We see them as diseases or some sort of thing which we have to, have to overcome. We have to go on some sort of program to, to help us in that. And so we've, we've seen the growth of many organizations and, and people being in counseling and, and steps to freedom in different things. And so I was looking on the internet for some of these, uh, some of these uh, uh, programs and courses. I found ones called Overeaters Anonymous, Workaholics Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Parents Anonymous, and even one for people who can't keep their homes tidy called Messies Anonymous. It's genuinely there. All bringing techniques to help people. But none of them mention that the real issue is sin. None of them mention that the real issue is sin and a need of forgiveness. Counseling and self-help techniques cannot replace the biblical model. What is the biblical model? The biblical model is, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. That is what we need. We need to confess that we are sinners and receive the blessings that God will give us because of that. And let's beware in the church. Let's beware of just going down some of these other lines because they're there. Let's beware of rushing and saying, I've got this problem in my life. I need counseling. It may well be you just need to confess your sin and receive forgiveness and receive what God has for you. But if we put God back at the rightful place in the center of our lives, we suddenly see that there is this benchmark. The Bible says that sin is rebellion against God, a God who is holy and set apart. Let's, uh, we see that in Psalm 51. David is writing this psalm, Psalm 51, we're going to look at verse 4. David's writing this psalm, and this psalm, um, as well as Psalm 32 actually, are thought to both be about when David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. So he went with this woman called Bathsheba, uh, instead of, who wasn't his wife, and then ended up um, killing her husband as well. You can read all about it in, uh, in 2 Samuel. Um, but David wrote these psalms off the back of that, he, after, his, after he, had, uh, he had, had come before God and repented before God. And David says in Psalm 51 verse 4 to God, Against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
And you might think, well, that's a strange thing for him to say. Because you could say, well, he's, he's sinned against his wife. Or, or wives, actually. He's sinned against his wife. He's sinned against uh, Uriah, who he's killed. Surely he's sinned against him. David's saying, no, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin is a rebellion against God. First and foremost, it's a rebellion against God. It's not about what we do to other people. It's not about if we upset other people. It's not about, oh, no one's got hurt, so it's okay. We have rebelled against God. We have sinned against God. And no one can live up to God's standards. God is a holy God. He is set apart. And therefore, all of us sin. Romans 3, 23, Paul explains this. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He's saying the situation is we've all sinned and the way out is redemption through his grace, by his grace through Christ Jesus. This is the centerpiece of the Christian gospel. This is the truth that the punishment for our sin is Jesus dying on the cross. We'll read on a little bit more in that passage. Uh, Romans chapter 3. It says, Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's a bit complicated to understand that, maybe, just on first reading. But basically, he's saying, God sent Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross, because he had to punish that our sin. Our sin deserved punishment, and God put that punishment upon Jesus. Jesus freely volunteered for it as well. It was a free, voluntary going to the cross, as we've been singing. You chose the cross with every breath. The sorrow that surrounded you was mine, yet not my will, but yours be done, you cried. Jesus went willingly to the cross. And the punishment that we deserved went upon Jesus. So that we could receive and have imparted to us Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' goodness, Jesus' holiness and purity. This is the centerpiece of the Christian gospel. But unless you understand what sin is, unless you understand what a a, a sinner is and that we are sinners, there's no way we'll see it as good news. We might just think, well, what's about Jesus dying on the cross? Don't understand it. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It seems a bit strange. But we'll never see how it relates to us. We'll never see how it's relevant to us. If we see... Uh, coming to, to coming to church or being a Christian as just having my needs met or coming and finding a bit of comfort, coming and finding direction in my life, coming uh, uh, and getting rid of the loneliness that was in my life, having that extra piece of the jigsaw put in. If it's all of those things, we'll not really understand, well, why did Jesus have to die? You know, let's just come and 
God's a loving God. Let's just come into his presence and God will love us and it will be wonderful. Don't understand. Jesus dying on the... Oh, it's all a bit, a bit embarrassing, really. Let's... We'll change our theology a bit. We won't mention that too much. And some churches are beginning to do that. We'll not mention about Jesus dying. We'll not mention about, about him taking punishment for our sin. We'll not mention about God's anger and wrath being poured out on Jesus. What? what? I, don't, I don't understand it. Let's talk about how, how God can help us in our life. Let's talk about how God can uh, make us healthy. Let's talk about how God can fulfill us. Um, that, that's much more appealing. That's much more consumerist. But it's not biblical. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our greatest need is to receive forgiveness of our sins. And Psalm 32 says, once we receive that, we're happy. We're blessed. He, uh, David goes on to say, um, we're going to go through this a little bit, a bit faster now. He says in, in verse 3 of Psalm 32, you know, once, when sin is covered up, it has a profound effect. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When we know that we're covering up sin, when we've got sin in our lives and we know it's sin, and, and may, you know, maybe many people wouldn't know, but if we know it's sin, those of us maybe in the church, then it has a profound effect on us. It drains us. It affects us. We can't come freely to God. We, 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 we're plagued by it. David says his bones wasted away. He was groaning all day long. His strength was being sapped from him. When we're covering sin up, we're in a miserable place. I remember, um, and you know, this, may, this may seem like a minor thing, but it, 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 I, I still remember it today. Um, when I was 19 years old, uh, I, I'd been in a relationship with someone and she'd, um, she'd gone off with some other bloke and so I'd ended the relationship. And, uh, but I'd harbored a bitterness and an anger towards her. That hadn't got resolved. And then she continued this relationship with this, this bloke and then I knew, I found out, that she'd done exactly the same thing to him. She'd gone off with someone else. But she'd not, he didn't, he'd not found out about it. He didn't know about it, and she'd said to her friends, keep it quiet. And she'd actually said to me, don't say anything. But I did. I did it anonymously. I wrote a letter to him, and I told him. And he ended the relationship. And you would think I would have been kind of, oh, that's all right then now. That's justice has been done. But because that came out of a bitterness and an anger, I was just plagued by that for, for weeks and months. In fact, even just talking about it now, because I don't think I've ever mentioned it since then, it, I, some of the feelings are coming back to me, but even I know I've been forgiven of it now. But I just remember that, that awful feeling. Oh, justice had, had been done in a way, but it was sin. Because it was out of a bitterness or an anger. A desire to, for me to get things right and not leave it to God. And I had to come and confess that to God. And actually, when, when I was, at the time I wasn't a Christian, but I soon became a Christian after that. And, I, and that was one of the first things that I had to get dealt with with God. God, will you forgive me for that? 
Because I knew I'd, I'd sinned against God. I wasn't in touch with her anymore. It wasn't as though I could go to her and say, but I'd not sinned against her in a way. I'd sinned against God. Because my sin was against God. And we can live with sin in our lives that is not resolved and not dealt with. And we cover it up. And we put on a good face. And we come to church week on week. And yet we know it's there. It's there and it's unresolved. And it eats away at us, like David said. Our bones wasting away, groaning all day long. Strength being sapped. As I've said, many people in the world wouldn't actually believe that what they were doing is sin. But for those in the church who are living with that, it's a miserable place to be. Yet verse 5 brings the hope. Verse 5 brings the good news. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And the response to that is actually in verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Verse 5 promises it will all change when sins confessed and acknowledged before God. And we can often, so often when we're in sin, in fact, it's the place where we'd all be. When, we, when we're in sin, we fear coming and confessing our sin. We fear it. We don't do it. We think, well, what would other people think if they found out? If I confessed it and people found out, what would they think of me? Would God forgive me? Could I come before God? Would it all, be, would it all just fall around? And that's a lie that the enemy brings. Because the truth is, God says he forgives us. You forgave the guilt of my sin. It will bring us into this glorious freedom where we can rejoice in the Lord and be glad and sing our praise to God. Because our guilt has been forgiven. Now it's important to remember that our guilt that is forgiven isn't just about how we feel. Our guilt isn't just our feeling, us feeling bad or feeling guilty. A criminal can be found guilty even though they don't feel any remorse at all for their crimes. They may feel that what they've done was perfectly justifiable. And so they can feel, oh, a miscarriage of justice has been done. But actually, if the law says this, the standard is this, and you've crossed over that line, you're guilty. Whatever you feel like, whether you feel uh, it's unjust, you're guilty. And often we can confuse guilt with shame. Guilt is a legal status. Guilt is totally independent of how we feel. Now, we might feel guilty, and we talk about that, but biblical guilt is something that is a legal thing. We are guilty before God doesn't matter how we feel. Shame is what we feel. Usually when we've been caught doing something wrong, or if, if something's, um, you know, we're just feeling ashamed of what we've done, even if we've not been caught. But whether we're here today feeling bad because of what we've done or not, doesn't change the fact that unless we've been forgiven, we stand guilty before God. We don't have to be feeling bad to be guilty before God. And because of our, how our society sees right and wrong, we won't necessarily feel as though we need forgiving. But the truth is, we do. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all need forgiveness. And God is promising that when we come to him. It's a glorious, wonderful promise that we have here. 
We have this awful situation where David is writing it, and, and true for us today, whereas if we're in this sin and we, it's unconfessed, it's an awful place to be. But then we confess it, and instead of us covering up our sin, it's covered by God. And we come into this freedom that we find in God. We find this forgiveness, we find this life and this joy, and then we find as well uh, that, uh, that, that God is, is leading us in our lives as well. We get this happiness. David says in verse 6, Everyone who is godly, pray to you, God, while he may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. We'll be protected from trouble. Not necessarily bad things aren't going to happen to you. That's not what it's meaning. We'll be protected from trouble. We'll be protected when God's judgment comes. And the Bible speaks of the coming judgment for sin for all people. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27 is one place that we see that. Matthew 16 verse 27. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In other words, God will reward us according to what he has done. But if we're all guilty before God and we've not received that forgiveness, we've not had it taken onto us, imparted to us that holiness of Jesus, then we will be punished for our sin. And we will have to face that judgment. That will be coming. It's as sure as anything. It's as certain as anything. People say the only certain things in life are death and taxes. But with death comes judgment. And that, the Bible says, is certain. We won't be able to hide. It will come. Remember the tsunami that happened in Asia a few years ago? It suddenly came. People sitting on the beaches, enjoying themselves on holiday, and suddenly the wave came. And it washed everything away and destroyed everything. And there was nowhere to hide. And that is what it will be like for those of us who are guilty because of our sin before God when God's judgment comes. We might be thinking we're fine. We're sitting on the beach. We're enjoying life. Everything's wonderful. But that wave's coming. That wave of God's judgment is coming and will come and will wash away and destroy all before it. Yet God will pluck us out and rescue us when we confess our sins. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. Because you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. It's like God will pick us out and winch us off, maybe in a helicopter, take us away before that wave comes. And actually, we can even be oblivious to what that will be like. Oh, we've been rescued. We've been rescued from the coming wave, the coming rising waters. Because we've not seen it and we've been rescued from it, we can kind of be a bit blasé about it. Well, yeah, we've been rescued. Actually seemed okay at the time. We've been rescued. Life doesn't look too bad. But we've, we've been rescued. That's good. But we lose sight of what's coming. We lose sight of what we've been rescued from. And we can get blasé. And we can get sloppy. We can just think, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We can go back, go and play on the beach a bit more. Looks okay. I just got back down. I'll just get involved in this or that activity. 
won't matter. God's rescued me. I'll go back. There's a wave coming. There's a wave coming of God's destruction, God's judgment. The waters will rise. And our hiding place is in God. Nowhere else. Let's not play fast and loose. Let's not just go and get involved again and sin. It doesn't matter. God's forgiven me. I'm in him now. I can just do this. No. No. God has rescued us from this. He's rescued us from it. In verse 8, God takes over almost the narrative of this psalm and says, He's going to show us the way we should go. He's going to show us. I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God doesn't just rescue us. He shows us a new way. He shows us a new life in Him. He wants us to come and live in those ways. And He's given us the Bible to help us in this. He's given us the church. Well, the Christians to guide and lead us in his ways. And he wants us to come freely. He wants us to come motivated by his great love and his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. He shows us the way to go. We need to come to an agreement with God about sin that we don't want anything to do with it. We're not going to go back. It's repulsive. We want to turn away from it. We want to live God's way, the new way. Otherwise, we're living in deceit. Otherwise, it's an insult to God. God rescues us and says, now live this way. Thanks for the advice, God. Thanks for rescuing me and thanks for the advice. I'm actually going to go this way. How can we say we're in relationship with God when we ignore what his advice is or his guidance is or his ways? It's not even advice, is it? It's his leading. We can't say, thanks God, thanks for saving me. I'm just going over here for now for a bit, but I'll be back in a bit. I'll come back to you when I need you. What an insult. What an insult to the God who has graciously reached down and saved us. We want to turn away from sin. We want to to just have nothing to do with it and submit ourselves to God's ways. And that's why God says, "I'm, I'm showing you the way to go. God wants to shape our character so we become more Christ-like. So finally, here, what is our response to this? What is our response to this truth? And here is where we come across our friend the mule. Don't be a mule. We can either accept God's view on us, we can either accept what God says about sin, that we are sinners, we can understand and accept that we can receive forgiveness from God, And we can continue to live in that relationship with God and have nothing to do with sin. But even when we fall, God will keep forgiving us. We'll come back. We'll confess our sin. And we can live in all the blessings that God gives us. Or we can be like the mule or the horse, which have no understanding. No understanding. And must be controlled by bit and bridle. Or they will not come to you. The mule is a stupid animal. Sorry if there's any mules here at the back. The mule is a stupid animal. He has no understanding. He requires force to come. It's almost as though God was like a farmer, owned a farm and, and, and had this barn with all this good food in. And, and, and God's saying, come and eat. Come in, come and receive all that I've got for you. And the mules out there in the field, I'm not coming, I'm not coming, I'm staying here. I don't need this. I'm happy where I am. 
and the rain starts to come and he's getting wet and cold and hungry and he's still stubborn. I'm not, I don't need it. I know what's right for me. Stubbornly staying. The barn's here. Come on in. Receive shelter. Receive feeding, food, all that I have for you. I'm wanting to look after you. No, I'm not coming. That's the mule. That's what we can be like, isn't it? That's what we can be like. I, I don't want to respond to that. I'm not having anyone tell me what to do. I'm not having someone standing up there at the front telling me how I should live my life. Like a mule. Stubborn. Won't budge. Yeah, you're getting wet. Yeah, your life's rubbish. I'm not going. I'm not going anyway. But life might be rubbish. Might all be falling around apart from me. But I'm not having someone up there telling me what to do. You're a mule. Stop it. Don't be a mule. The farmer has to force the mule in. He puts a bit in its teeth and a bridle around it. And he pulls it by its teeth, this bit in its teeth. Come on. Come on, you're coming in here. He forces him in. That's what the farmer does. That's what God's doing to some of us. How's he doing that? He can do that through the circumstances in our lives. Now, if we don't know God, there might be all sorts going on in our lives. Life might be falling around all apart. I think, where do we go? Who's doing that? Why is that happening? Some people even go, oh, if there's a God, God wouldn't let, be letting this happen. No, God's dragging you in. God's saying, come on, this is the way. He's pulling you. You're resistant. I'm not going. You're, it's hurting you. It's a battle. God wants you, though. He's not leaving. He's not saying, oh, fair enough, stay out there then. See if I care. I'll get the other animals in. No, he's pulling you in. He's putting a bridle on you. He's doing it out of love. In the same way that Rachel is cutting Sarah's fingernails. <laughs> Seems a small thing. Sarah doesn't understand. Ow, you're hurting my fingers. Ow, it's for your own good. She doesn't understand it. She's like a mule. No, she's young, so she's <laughs> She'll come to understand it. She's got an excuse. She's a baby. We haven't, many of us. Because God is doing things in our lives and he's saying, come on, come and follow me. Come and confess your sin. Acknowledge it. Receive forgiveness. Receive all that I've got for you. The suffering that David's going on with when he didn't confess his sin, groaning, hand heavy upon me. He was being a mule. He was being a mule then. But God wants to bring us in. Verse 10 says, many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those, the man who trusts in him. If you've got sin and you've not confessed it and you don't know God and you don't know his forgiveness, there'll be all sorts going on in your life. Many of the woes of the wicked. But it could be that God is just bringing you to that place where you say, okay, I'm a sinner. I'll confess that and come into all that I've got, God's got for me. And when we bring training and discipline to our children, it could seem that that's what we're doing. That they're like these stubborn mules who are being dragged into what's for their own good. But the pain of discipline is for their own benefit. And that is what God is doing. God's coming to us this morning and saying, leave your sin behind. Come into everything I've got for you. I've got so much, so many good things. You'll be rescued from the disaster that's coming. 
and you'll benefit from all of my care and all of my blessing. And now it's down to us. What is our response? Are we going to be like this mule? I'm okay. I don't need God. Are we going to stick it out? Or are we going to humble ourselves and realize that we can't do it all ourselves? That we can't come to God on our terms? We can't have just God meet what we feel our needs are. That we'll recognize our greatest need is that of forgiveness. And we confess our sins and encounter his unfailing love. I want to urge you to respond today to God's message to you and not be like that mule. You can be like a mule in any number of ways. Maybe, you know, I mentioned Alpha at the start. Maybe you've been invited to Alpha by some friends. Or maybe just what I said this morning. And you thought, I don't need that. I'm not going to that. Well, you've been like a mule, I would say. Go. That's just one of the ways, though. But actually, you can come this morning and respond and repent of your sin and turn away from it, confess it, and come to know God yourself. That's better. You know? Yeah, come on, Alpha, as well. But respond today. Come to know God today, this morning. You can know for God's forgiveness in your life. You can know your life totally turned around. Not because it's going to be free of pain and suffering. Not because you're going to suddenly be blessed with lots of material possessions. Not because you're suddenly going to be free from health problems. But because you know forgiveness. And you know the joy that comes from being adopted into God's family. If you don't know God this morning, I urge you respond. And come to know him today. And there could be some of us here as well, I'm sure, who know God and yet have got ourselves into sin. And it's hidden. It's unconfessed. And it's eating away at us. And we know it's there. And we know God has got his finger on it. And we, we come along to church because that's what we do and that's what our families do and can't really get out of it. And, but we're sitting there and we, we've got heavy hearts. And everyone's singing and we're thinking, like, how can I sing these words? And it's like our strength is being sapped. And we're in the heat of the day. And God's saying, just come. Just come and confess it. Just come, confess your sin. Receive my forgiveness. Walk free of it. And rejoice. You can do that. You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear reproach. You don't need to fear what others will think and what God will think. Just come. Just come, confess, and receive this forgiveness this morning.